What's up, everyone? This is Jacob Moses, host of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we teach technical writers a different skill so they can enhance their skill sets, improve their marketability, diversify their career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill? Acquiring the three types of knowledge tech writers need to succeed. As technical writers, knowledge is one of our greatest assets. The more knowledge we have, the better documentation we can create. However, amid the information overload we often face, it's also one of the most difficult assets to acquire. But you know what? It's all good though, because in this episode, we have two guests. We've got Tom Johnson, technical writer at Amazon Lab 126 out in the Bay Area, and creator of undoubtedly my most favorite tech writing blog, I'd Rather Be Writing, and Lisa Melanson, who is the Associate Professor of Professional Writing at the University of Cincinnati. Together, they'll share how you can filter through the information overload and shift your focus to the three types of knowledge you need to succeed. Product knowledge, technical knowledge, and user knowledge. Enjoy. Good morning, Lisa and Tom. How are y'all doing today? Doing fine. Thanks, Jacob. Doing Pleasure. well. Thanks, Jacob. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, and just thank you so much, each of you, for agreeing to be a part of the podcast today. Um, this is really exciting. We've never done a, a group podcast before. In the past, it's just been myself and one other person. Um, so this is going to be really good just to be able to get multiple perspectives on today's topic which is all about just acquiring the types of knowledge that tech writers need to succeed. And it's going to be great to get the perspectives. And really, the inspiration behind this topic was a post that Tom Johnson recently wrote on his blog, I'd Rather Be Writing, which really just pushed the general message that the more you know, the better you can write. And we all know that's easier said than done. Technical writers are often siloed from other departments, um, often juggling multiple projects so they can't really allocate the time to purposefully acquire knowledge. And that's going to be the beauty of today's podcast. We'll first just talk about the types of knowledge that tech writers need to succeed. And that's product knowledge, technical knowledge, and user knowledge, followed by strategies that tech writers can apply today to acquire that knowledge and hopefully uh, help them create better docs. So, Lisa and Tom, let's just start by talking about product knowledge. Why is product knowledge one of the three essential types of knowledge that tech writers need to succeed? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, that's sort of a, an obvious question, right? Like, you're writing about the product, you have to know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the interesting part about gaining product knowledge is that we often aren't really the users of the products we document. Um, it would be great if we were, if we just totally used the products and built up all this knowledge, but by and large, uh, that doesn't happen. Um, for example, uh, in my last company, I was, I was documenting these uh, very technical sort of identifiers that were uh, generated based on web visits for either fraud or advertising purposes, right? It's like, I don't really use that product. And mm -hmm. other 
other people have similar experiences where you're documenting something that you yourself would never use. And the more technical of a job you have, it's often more true, right? Because Absolutely. we're not really engineers. Yeah, Go so ahead, like Lisa. The, like the first product I ever documented in my entire career. So I had a long consulting career before I became an academic. Uh, the first product I ever documented was a missile guidance system. Uh, <laughs> really not a big use for that in everyday you know, life. And so this idea of not using the thing that we're documenting raises an interesting point from an academic training the next generation of technical communicator and that means is how do you how do we do that sort of training in the classroom to prepare somebody to do a job exactly like Tom just described and for us I think that boils down to being able to teach a wide body of research skills mm -hmm. so that students and future technical communicators can get out there and know how to do a really good interview, how to set up a small focus group, how to send out a very directed survey to get this within to a group of SMEs that may be all over the world to get this kind of product knowledge to start building, to build that knowledge. And so that you have to take a step back. So how can you get that knowledge? You need certain skill sets, like being able to do really good research to be able to do that. Yeah, and you raise a great point about research and just helping tech artists understand the differences between primary and secondary research and how they really do work well together. Um, Lisa, what are some action items that you would suggest for tech writers to really have the right mentality and right mindset on research whenever they know that they can't actually be an end user of the product? What is the primary questions those true end users need? And so the uh, you open this by talking about the great way that Tom had broke this down to product, technical, and user, which is kind of like a triangle, and a triangle is still connected. It kind of has to be recursive. And so product knowledge and user knowledge kind of has to go together. And so then you, you step back and you go to those basic user questions what users will be using it, what are their primary needs, what obstacles might they get in the way, and then how can I ask different questions of people building the thing to help answer both how they're going to use it and who's going to be using it. Yeah, and you raise a great point and something that Tom hit on in his post is that these three types of knowledge that we're going to cover, cover today often do overlap. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, like, if we do have great knowledge on the product that helps us understand what we need to document, maybe what's what's trivial that we don't have to focus in documentation, but we don't we can't necessarily practice that knowledge unless we also pair it with user knowledge. Yeah, I, I want to expand on on the whole idea of <clears throat> this triangle and how it helps filter. I mean, there are so many things that you could learn about a product, and by product, I would also include the whole domain where where the product product's context is. Mm. It's sort of industry and everything, uh, mm -hmm. the whole, whole market awareness. But as Lisa pointed out, you only need to really focus on what the user wants to know about that product. So by having that uh, association with the user, you can filter down the level of product knowledge uh, to something more manageable. Oh, yeah, that's a great way of saying it, Tom. <laughs> No, it really is, because it's succinctly, I love that term filter, because it helps take something that can be overwhelming for students who are learning, new tech writers on the job who mm -hmm. are overwhelmed with so many things, and even some of us oldsters who have done things, and we get caught up in our old patterns, and we forget to take a step back, 
and that word filter is a great one because it forces us to go back to some of those fundamental questions and put it through that filter to really figure out what we need to write. And so that really is a beautiful way of saying it. Hey, I want to also um, point out something else. So I started out by saying that we, we, we can't really be users a lot of the times of the products that we, we document. Um, I, I had sort of followed that path in my career for most of my career, actually, uh, always being stuck at a company whose products I didn't really use or that weren't that exciting to me. Uh, just so, had sort of accepted that that's the life of a technical writer. And of course, you know, you have this theme of, of the not boring podcast. And if you spend your life documenting products you don't care about, how can that be an engaging life, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so with this, this last sort of uh, career shift that I did, or not career shift, job change, um, I, I was asking myself, look, I'm at the point in my career where I should be able to pick a company whose products I really like. Um, I, I'm not saying that I, I hated all the products at my pre- previous companies, but they weren't all, always that exciting. So one of the reasons I chose to work at Amazon is because I really like a lot of their products. Um, and and I have lots of like different Amazon products at home. I've got uh, Kindles and, and tablets and a Fire TV and an Echo. And, it's, and of course, my wife orders tons of stuff uh, from Prime. And we've got all these other sort of things, too, like the Audible... Um, Kindle Unlimited and working on uh, now obviously I only work on like a tiny fraction of any of the company's products but um, primarily with Fire TV I love playing with this device at home yeah maybe I'm not building streaming media apps on my own but I'm still playing with the the device and interacting with it and learning about it and it actually makes a huge difference Um, it, it does contribute to to making the job more fun um, it's not always possible, right? Maybe you, you have to document something that you, you really don't hate. But if you do have the chance to align yourself with a company whose products you, you kind of interact with and like, it, it is highly worthwhile. Yeah, this is what we try to also, um, from the again, from the academic side of the house, what we try to, to get students to tr- figure out when they're in that degree program, what part of all of this really that you like. And, and so a lot of our students may not ever document anything. They end up being a, a more Marcom sort of writer that still sort of fits under the big technical communication mm-hmm. house because they're writing marketing communication for technical devices, or they may end up doing more visually oriented things. And so I, lo- I love this idea of trying to really find that thing in a company and a job that you can be passionate about. Because it does make creating and generating that knowledge so much easier. <laughs> it really does, because you're, 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 you're becoming the end user, which is the most optimal way to write documentation. And Tom, I love that you talked about how with this recent job change, you were purposely seeking um, a position where you were writing about a product that you cared about and how you found that in Amazon. And man, that's really just the message of this podcast for tech writers not to feel like they have to be restricted to manuals or restricted to proposals or whatever they've been told in the past. And really just understand that, I mean, if you can write well and work well with subject matter experts or whatever, I mean, you really have a lot of power to choose the career and the product that you want to write about, just having that that confidence to do so. There's one more aspect I I want to touch upon in terms of uh, uh, gaining product knowledge by being the user. 
Um, and this is probably the most important thing about any job, regardless of your, your like or dislike of the products, is that you have to test out all of your instructions, right? You have to... I know it's some, it sounds somewhat trivial, and, and sometimes we're like, oh, of course. But the more technical of a position you have, the, the more difficult it becomes. If you're suddenly uh, finding that you have to set up all kinds of environments and systems just to even start to go through uh, something, you know, it, it can be a lot more difficult. And obviously, I'm thinking of Lisa, who is describing the missile documentation. You probably can't like launch your own missile and test that out, but maybe some aspect of it. Of course, if you could launch it, that would be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, you get that, my point. That, yeah, that was way above my pay grade. And the notion, the notion of usability, is of course massive, all across technical communication. Mm-hmm. And and so we we've even user tested in certain advanced classes that I I teach patient education materials, which doesn't necessarily, you immediately think, oh, technical. And it truly is. And you have to set up a lot of these things. And so when you're trying to write documentation for elderly people who now have to be on oxygen machines, that is a unique sort of situation that takes product knowledge of that oxygen machine, user knowledge, where they're using those things, and and a, a technical expertise that's really interesting and enforcing students to go through that user test is extraordinarily important because it always finds major problems with the documentation. And, and to be able to then argue within certain organizations that user testing isn't just an add-on extra expense, it's a fundamental part of the documentation cycle and it needs to be stuck in at different stages so important. Yep. So this is a great segue into the value of technical knowledge. Lisa and Tom, where does technical knowledge fit in this triangle of the three types of knowledge that tech writers need to succeed? Uh, let, let me come back to the whole idea of the filter. Um, so in, in whatever programming language or technical domain you're, you're approaching, there are endless amounts of things you could learn. Right? If you for example, with, with Android even, there are so many layers that you could possibly focus on. Uh, with Java, there are so many different libraries that you could focus on. This is why you have to filter it down to the product. What part of this technical domain is relevant based on this product and, and maybe the user's use case? So that helps you filter down the whole immensity of technical info you could possibly have to a more manageable subset. Yeah, and and that is extremely important, again, from the teaching perspective, because many, many students that are in technical writing programs, particularly in the U.S. and even in some parts of the, in EU nations, are experiencing much more a general education, mm-hmm. meaning that they're, they're learning how to do this kind of research to get these, get at these different types of knowledges and they're not so much focused specifically on highly technical sorts of things and so then to be able to again using this great word filter to figure out how then you go and get that very limited technical knowledge that you need is extraordinarily important you know i I think uh uh like gaining the technical knowledge is is one of the most challenging aspects of working in developer documentation Mm -hmm. um because yes, it, 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 it's 
uh, software programming at least uh, is a whole domain unto itself. It's a it's a whole discipline, right? You can't just like uh, go in and say, "Oh, I totally understand what all this code is doing, and I can easily write about it." No, I mean somebody's a professional who spent years in training getting up to that point. So no matter how many beginner tutorials I kind of go through and online courses about how to learn Java and so forth or how to learn Android or whatever programming trying to figure out, um, I'm still at like a kindergarten level compared to engineers. And uh, I find this somewhat frustrating because it's hard to break through into a deeper technical level without full immersion in code all day mm-hmm. for, for many years. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, by going through these online courses, tutorials to gain this knowledge, you, you become familiar with terms and basics. And from that terminology and correct understanding about how, uh, how something fundamentally works, you can usually uh, understand what engineers are saying and you can uh, write more credibly uh, because you're not using a term completely you know, backwards or, or ungrammatical based on how engineers speak. Right. You're, again, having to research and and find what it is to get you to find other knowledges so that you can build your own and kind of get immersed as much as in that kindergarten way into their own jargon so that you can have a conversation in the same language. And that is highly, highly important. You know, heck, I'm an electrical engineer in my very first life, and I can't even to this day, talk to certain chemical engineers because we don't share the same language, even though we're both engineers. And uh, the key to gaining that technical knowledge, going through the filter to get it down to, to that domain that you absolutely have to have is, is simply going out, doing that research and, and teaching yourself. And that's the key to any technical communicator. You always have to be eager to learn something new and not be afraid of it. Yeah, and then connecting what you said, Lisa, about academics and technology, and then, Tom, what you said about industry. In academia, it's often like like the theory of technology. And then something that Tom wrote in his post is that you can really acquire this knowledge of technology better whenever you can translate it into actual actual products um, instead of just, just these theories or these, these abstracts, which is huge. Right, to play with it mm-hmm. um, and to always not be afraid of playing with something new, knowing that you, you really can't break it. And if you do break it, it's probably a way to fix it pretty easily. But then that shows to those those SMEs that you're willing to meet them halfway. Yep. And that is so important in being able to get a good documentation product. Yep, because we're, we provide the rhetoric for that technology. We may not be fully immersed in and the technology like um, like the developers or the programmers. But once we just can kind of get the feel of it, surface level, kindergarten level, like we've been saying, I mean, if we can provide that rhetoric, that's where we fit in. Uh, I have something more to add about the whole uh, technology knowledge challenge. Um, and I like to compare this scenario to maybe Major League Baseball. When you, if you were to just go into, <laughs> if you were to just go up to... Uh, a batter's box and and take a pitch from like a professional uh, major league baseball player at a 90 mile an hour fastball right there's no way we would even practically see the ball mm-hmm. and a lot of times i feel like that's what it's like when you're you're given some kind of developer documentation task 
and you're like, holy crap, I have to suddenly understand uh, something at a very advanced level that's taken somebody years to get to. And if you if you don't have any preparation that gets you to that point, then that fastball just goes right on by you. You don't even have a chance of hitting it, right? And so in the professional context, you basically just end up editing something an engineer writes and hoping that it's that it's accurate. Um, in order to to get up to the level where you can actually try to hit the ball, I think it, it's going to require um, a lot of ramp up time and uh, and constant learning from from the ground up. And how do you get that, especially if you've just landed in a company and their technology is is like a new thing or their, their the specific niche is new for you? Um, do you do you do lots of tutorials at work, at home, uh, on the weekend, building up, going through the basics and hoping that you're laying the foundation to eventually understand this more highly technical detail? It's really a difficult task to, to fit that in uh, to, to your lifestyle and to build that in. Um, but I think you, you have to try to find a way to do it to succeed. Oh, I would totally agree. And some of the, th this is something that as students are getting ready to launch themselves onto the world at the end of their degree programs, this is a question they always ask, like, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. And one of my answers, while in one way kind of sounds like a cop out, it really isn't. Uh, one of the things that go in to college and getting an advanced degree does is you're learning how to learn mm -hmm. and once you kind of get your head around the fact that you're learning how to learn and you have to be open to that the other thing is you have to learn how to ask really good questions and asking a good question is flipping hard because you want to ask the most general things but when it comes to technical stuff you have this is where just kind of having a basic understanding you know elementary level idea of the certain jargon you have if you can match those things together a good question with a basic understanding then you can start to get that at that deeper level of knowledge that Tom is talking about and the other thing is you just have to read your organizational cultures and you know as you shift jobs or you shift locations within the same organization you just have to pay attention and you know look at past practice there's always old documentation around that may or may not be good but it's a great place to start to see kind of the expectation and what they've done before and all of these things just go back to learning how to learn and paying attention and it's not easy I'm not saying that it is and then you add in these other things that Tom is talking about just that lifelong learning going home and exploring things on your own um, for a couple of hours and if you're really paying attention, you're going to get a lot of information that way and start to impress people. And then they're going to be more open to you stumbling through potentially not asking a good question. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah. Our last podcast guest was uh, Ted Hudick, who is a program writer at Microsoft. And his advice for learning technologies was just to, to understand that you really always need need to have a side project that the technologies that you may be exposed to in your, your formal nine to five may not be enough to really acquire that knowledge completely. Um, so just, and something I like to do whenever I'm faced with a new technology is to, to pair it with my problem statement. Like what is, what is the issue at hand that I need to solve and how can this technology help me solve it? Because, gosh, I mean, I was, I was a formal tech writing student at the University of North Texas. And, Lisa, you're exactly right. It was incredibly overwhelming whenever we 
we segued from grammar to technology and working with subject matter experts because it just wasn't what I was familiar with. But if I just focus, just a, take it a piece at a time, what's the problem at hand? How can this technology fix it? How can I learn it? Um, was really helpful for me and continues to be. Yeah, and when you break it down that way and then you you take Tom's suggestions of you just have to keep playing and immersing and mm-hmm. trying and then you're paying attention and asking good questions, all of those things together are going to get you further along the chain to where it's not going to feel so overwhelming. Yep. Okay, uh, so let's talk about user knowledge, which is uh, the final type of knowledge um, that Tom graciously laid out for us in his post. Um, where does user knowledge fit into all of this? We've already covered it a bit and um, how it connects with product and technology. Um, so let's, let's dive into user knowledge. It's my favorite because it's the hardest. And it's always so challenging and it, it continuously surprises what assumptions we oftentimes make as we're sitting at that company trying to figure out, well, what do users know? <laughs> to, it's always surprising what we assume. And then when we start to do some research and learn more about potential users, we you can end up laughing at yourself mm-hmm. as, to, as to what the disconnects are. But the user knowledge it really is like this big shadowy concept just kind of sitting out on the horizon. It, it's, it's like the, it's like that treasure we're always hoping to find, but we never <laughs> fully get to. <laughs> um, it's hard is what I'm saying. And it, it takes a lot of work, but to me, it's still, um, even when I consult now, it's one of the favorite parts of any one of the jobs is to figure that out because it is so challenging. And that really didn't answer any part of your question, except to say that, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to echo what Lisa is saying. I mean, this is the you, you have the product before you. You have a bunch of inform, information about technology, but the users are kind of this fuzzy object in the background behind uh, a glass that you can't really see. It's it's um you, you rarely interact with them, so it is hard to get this knowledge, and yet it's probably the most important. Um, but I, I would say the first place you should start, or, or one could start, is by looking at analytics, um, yeah. I was checking out analytics yesterday about uh, what were the what are the top pages that my users are actually looking at, and we have pretty good analytics, and it was quite um, eye opening actually, um, eye opening just to see what level of interest people have across different products and and how the products I'm working on uh, compare with others. Uh, but this gives me a starting point. And I, based on those analytics, I was like, oh, yeah, tons of people are interested in media specifications. I'm like, hmm, I have that sort of buried in my in my sidebar. So I, I moved it up and I cleaned it up and I made sure everything was accurate and so forth. Uh, so, so that's one easy way to start um, with gaining user knowledge. And if you have any sort of forum that you put out or you found one online to where people are talking about your product a lot, User forums are also a great place to start to get a general sense, again, of things that people are really concerned with and common problems that they're having. Um, Old school way was the call center. So if you're working at a place that still potentially has one, you know, they keep a different sort of analytics, but it merges directly with what Tom was saying about behind the scenes analytics on web pages. And just, you know, doing old fashioned demographic sort of research. The marketing department is trying to sell this thing to somebody. Who are those somebodies that they're looking at and taking that information and spinning it back around and and comparing that potentially to analytics 
and to your own kind of big questions about the product itself, what you think is interesting and cool. The, the hard part about forums that I've found is trying to sort through what questions are worth um, adding mm-hmm. to the documentation mm-hmm. and wh- which ones are just one-off like edge cases that somebody ran into. And it's it can be really challenging. You know, somebody says, I got an error trying to do this. And it's like, hmm, I'm not really sure why the person was even trying to do that in the first place. But maybe I don't un- understand entirely what their scenario is. And maybe I missed this. And so it's it's a guessing game. Yeah, and what I've told somebody recently that does have a lot of really uh, active forums is, is we just kind of sucked a lot of that information out and we put it into some qualitative data software that helped us pick up automatically running some themes and big keywords that kept popping up and that helped us a lot to narrow it down and then we got rid of the outliers. If something was only said once in a week, we just didn't feel it was, while it was very important for that one user, I have no doubt, it just really wasn't something that we could spend a lot of time on. And and it's again, just kind of thinking through big pictures, what data do we have existing already that we can use to help us figure out what our users are trying to do with this product. If you can, if you can reach out to your support people and make some kind of connections so that they know who to escalate issues to, or not maybe escalate issues to, but who to, who to reach out when they want to make a fix in the documentation because of a repeating issue they keep seeing. Uh, I think that's good because you know that if you have a lot of stuff come through your forum, and as Lisa's talking about. It sounded like, is that sentiment analysis where you're looking at like keywords that are repeating? Qualitative data software has a lot of little buttons you could click. And in this case, we just did, we did um, generate auto themes, I think is what it's called. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what it does is it's just picking up common phrases. It, okay. it's, it's really uh, super simple, super basic, and not something that you'd want to do all the time. But in this particular case, it helped to narrow it down because those forums were so active with a lot of one-off kind of questions that just not yeah. usable or useful for trying to get at the bigger level that picture things of how to, one, improve the documentation, and two, how to improve the product. So I think whenever you have a lot of information, you know, if you pro- you probably don't have time to really sort through all this, use the the support agents or whatever uh, chain you have to have them know who you are and know how to get stuff added to the documentation, make that that bridge. I think you had a podcast with Neil Kaplan about the same sort of thing. So I did. I just refer to that <laughs> refer to that one. Yeah Neil, oh, yeah, Neil Kaplan covered a lot of great stuff. And really, like, like the overall theme was just, like, laying out, like, that mutual benefit proposition, not just coming to support and saying, like, hey, like, give me everything that's a frequently asked question. Like, like lay out what is that mutual benefit proposition. We all have the same goal of creating documentation. Uh, uh, as a tech writer, I only have X amount of knowledge. But as support, you have, you have whatever I need to, to supplement that knowledge to create better documentation. So like you said, Tom, and as, as Neil said in the podcast, which I'll include in the show notes if anyone wants to listen, um, which is all about just getting up out of your desk, going to support, and just bridging that gap, starting that conversation. Because they're the ones who are actually working with the users every single day. Um, so that's the best way to, to supplement the two types of knowledge that we've already covered, the, the technical and the product. Just start talking to support. Yeah, and 
companies have a lot of data in a lot of different places. And the more that the technical communicator knows what those data points could be across an organization, the easier it is for you to do your job because then you can get that information and then again, filter through it to figure out what is useful for the particular problem you're trying to solve at that moment. Well, one more aspect of user knowledge that I think is important to cover is to uh, know what your audience wants mm-hmm. and to understand the way that, that they want the information. I don't know if you've ever checked out these engineering surveys or developer surveys at Stack Overflow. Uh, they're quite detailed, uh, but every year they, they they do a survey of like 50,000 people and, and, and compile a giant list of characteristics and so forth. And that's one way to sort of get a better understanding of an engineering audience, if that's your case. Um, but uh, actually, Stack Overflow recently has come out with an evolution to their site where instead of just this, this sort of... Uh, question and answer type pages that that they've got where people upvote. They've now got documentation pages. Uh, But really, Sarah Maddox pointed out, they should really just be called like code samples because that's really all they are. And uh, and this points out to what the engineering user really wants. They want a bunch of code samples. So by understanding that that's the preference of the user, it can help you uh, focus the kind of knowledge that you provide to that user or the information you provide to them. And it would be different if you don't have an engineering audience. If you have uh, seniors, for example, you've got older older people, I'm sure you probably have a lot of different uh, approaches that you would take to giving them the information they need. Yeah, and a lot of that you can find out by, we, while we often don't times have direct access to a lot of users, you can generally get access to a handful and even a handful can give you this sort of beginning point of information that then you can build off of by doing additional research, finding these other data points across your organization, going back to some of these fundamental questions. What is this product going to do for, for the user? How will the user want to use it? And then you can start to answer these type of questions to get the documentation out exactly the way that the user wants it. Yep. And that just goes back to the point that while each of these types of knowledge are great on their own. They really do work best whenever they're they're put together to create that more useful documentation. And Tom and Lisa, I just appreciate y'all so much for really, really laying that out for us today. And because tech writers, I mean, they we face a lot of information. It can feel like too much. We can get discouraged. But you guys have really laid out some great action items and great perspectives um, that technical writers can can adopt to really. To really, really take on these types of knowledge to acquire them because it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> no. no, and again, I think if we polled a lot of technical writers, there are many of them would classify themselves as lifelong learners mm-hmm. and they really do want to try and learn and do new things. And so the key is just to never be afraid of it and, and look around your organization and be prepared to cross bridges, reach out and, and talk to people. Yep. Yeah, I think that's one of the appeals of, of the career in technical writing is that you are a lifelong learner. You have to constantly be, you have to be constantly learning about all these different things um, throughout your whole career. And that, that sort of provides a continuous engagement. And at least uh, for most people, they like learning things that are new. You're not stuck in a rut. You constantly have to grow your understanding. Well, Lisa and Tom, any final notes y'all like to share 
before we wrap up today's podcast? Uh, just to underscore that um, these three domains of knowledge really do all go together. And to think of them as part of that recursive triangle is helpful because then you're always going to end up with better documentation because the minute you start to separate them apart, things are going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would just say I've been in uh, listening to your podcast, Jacob, and I enjoy them. So keep, keep going. And it's, it's fun to, um, it's fun to hear different perspectives from people in the industry. So uh, keep keep up the great work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, let me let me let me second that. I I use them and in classes. So well, it gives a different perspective than yeah. just you know of mine. And that that it's good for students to hear different aspects of the of industry and from practitioners. And that is always useful. Yep, because there's there's a lot of tech writers out there who have a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, and it's just been. It's been such an honor to be able to provide a platform for these tech writers um, to be able to, to share their expertise, and y'all included. Thank you all so much for just taking part. As we wrap up, for any listeners who'd like to find y'all on the internet, Lisa and Tom, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at tek-ritr.com and at Twitter on L-M-E-L-O-N-C-O-N. Uh, you can find me at adratherbewriting.com or on Twitter at Tom Johnson or on Slack with the Write the Docs group uh, at Tom Johnson as well. Uh, and that's, oh, I also have an iTunes feed that I'm kind of resurrecting as well. You can find that from my site. Very good. Well, Lisa and Tom, just thank you all so much again. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. I hope the, hope the listeners feel encouraged to uh, the theme of filtering out information and just getting laser focused on what we need. I hope they feel encouraged to do that to focus on these three parts, the, the product knowledge, the technical knowledge, and user knowledge, because it's, it's big time. And you guys have laid out some great action items that I hope, hope the listeners will act on today. Thank you again, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you all. Talk soon.